Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. My skin is like dark ebony under the blazing sun, won't you? Tell me that I'm beautiful, but don't preface it by telling me the limiting conditions of my beauty. My skin is like Sunday morning, sweaty pews, uncomfortable shifting, uncomfortable silence. As a congregation waxes and wanes to the preacher's words, don't tell me I am sinful. Don't judge me for being religious. Our white God is the only thing you have left for us. Hello, my name is Dr. Chika Stacy Oriwa, and I'm a first year resident. Dr. Chika Stacy Oriwa is a force. That clip is from her 2021 TEDx McMaster U talk titled Dare to Occupy Powerful Spaces. And occupy she does. She's a spoken word artist, a writer, a public speaker. She's a graduate of the University of Toronto Faculty of Medicine, where she earned the distinct honor of valedictorian, the lone black student in a class of over 250 people. Chica is a medical trailblazer, an advocate for the racialized and marginalized, a fierce fighter against systemic racism in healthcare. She's been immortalized in a way you may not expect. She's writing new chapters as we speak. She is, of course, many other things. She's proudly her mother's daughter and a soon-to-be mom of two. In mere weeks, Chica's family will grow to four as her son Eze becomes a big brother. Huge congratulations. How are you doing? (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm doing well. This pregnancy has certainly been a lot more challenging than my pregnancy with my son. And my mom tells me it's because I'm expecting a girl this time around and that um, as a woman who has birthed three daughters, she can attest to the fact that her pregnancies with her daughters were very different than her pregnancy with her son. So I, you know, I'm kind of just going through the motions. I only have about a month left. So I'm, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited. I'm grateful. I'm really, really excited actually to have both a boy and a girl and see how those experiences differ, if they differ at all. So when I could find out the gender as as early as humanly possible, I did that. So I did the um, NIPT testing, like the genetic testing when I was nine, almost 10 weeks pregnant and found out that I was having a girl very, very early on in the pregnancy. And uh, yeah, I was very excited for that because um, yeah, I've always wanted to have one of each. And so I felt like there was this pressure the second time around that wasn't necessarily there in the first pregnancy. And so I just, I needed to know. Whereas I know a lot of my friends, even my mom did not find out the gender of the pregnancy until delivery. And I wish I had that kind of patience, but it is so not my character to to wait like that. No, so. fair enough. You do whatever works for you. Okay, amazing. Congratulations. How do you think your little guy is going to be as a big brother? Oh, I think he's going to be amazing. He's so loving and affectionate and sweet. Um he already like he comes up to my belly and he rubs my belly. He gives kisses to my belly. He loves to come home from daycare and give hugs and kisses. Um, when I say to him, where's baby sister? He points to my belly. He gives my belly hugs and kisses before bedtime. Um, he's just, he's so, so, so sweet. And he really loves being around other children as well. Um, actually, he thrives being around other children. And uh, so I, I just think he has this really 
gentle and nurturing spirit about him. And so I'm excited to see how he reacts. Like I'm, I'm not naive to the fact that he will be 18 months when the next baby comes. And so it is going to be transitionally a bit challenging for him, of course, going from being the only baby to now having to share that attention and affection with his little sister and 18 months already as a toddler is such a, can be such an interesting and at times challenging period for parents and toddlers. So I think, you know, I I don't think it's going to be without its bumps, but I do think in the long run, he will really thrive in the role as big brother. That's amazing. So now speaking of of transition, because yes, of course, it's a transition for him and your family. You're so busy, you're running around wards, you were flying out to keynotes, and then you became more stationary. So how has that transition, or I guess a better question is, have you settled into that transition and into this new normal? And what's your expectations for that when when your daughter comes, which is so soon, as you've mentioned? So soon. (laughs) You know, I wish I could say that I took my foot off the pedal a bit. And maybe, you know, in, in some respects I did. Obviously, when I had my son for the first two months, uh, for the first eight weeks of his life, I didn't keynote. I just stayed home and I was like really just focused on, you know, being as present as I could be. And of course, recovering from labor and pregnancy. Um, however, I got back to keynoting when he was eight weeks old. And, you know, luckily, this was kind of at the height of Omicron. So everything was virtual. And so I got back to keynoting when he was very, very young. And I was spent the better part of last year still keynoting and flying around and doing everything. And um, I'm also in the process of writing my memoir. And so working, I completed the entire first uh, draft of my manuscript for my memoir um, during my maternity leave with my son while keynoting and taking care of him and doing all of that. And so I, in some respects, I didn't really slow down all too much, except I wasn't in residency. So I think that was probably the biggest gear shift was not being in the hospital. But then I found other ways to kind of keep myself um, present in some of the other roles that I have. And then when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, even though I was so much sicker in this pregnancy, I've still kept up my keynoting. Um, I've, I've actually had to fly a lot more and travel a lot more in this pregnancy than I did with my son's pregnancy. And I still have to finish up my my book editing. I actually have a, another deadline in a couple of weeks to really finalize it before the baby comes. And I went back to residency as well for two months um, during this pregnancy as well. And so, you know, things have, (laughs) I'd like to say that they've slowed down, but it it really hasn't slowed down all too much. And that's only possible. I should really underscore that by saying that's only possible through having an incredible, incredible village of support and access to the means to be able to send my child to daycare. And yeah, there's so, so many working parts to that. Oh my goodness. That's incredible that you're powering through and and pushing through like that. Kudos to you. Uh, So many questions. Uh, Memoir, what's it called? When can we expect to see it out? So I actually don't have the finalized title. It was still kind of in the editorial process. Okay. Um, It'll be out in 2024, the exact timing, not too, too sure. Um, It, 
I think I'll, I'll have a more clear picture in the coming months exactly when it'll be published officially. But um, yeah, so it's kind of all, it's it's still very much a work in, in progress. And I don't know if my editor wants me to reveal too many details at this point, other than I think I'm allowed to say that I'm working on a memoir. Okay, um, totally fair. Well, and some, you know, new yeah. chapters in there for sure, right? Speaking about everything <laughs> and your pregnancy. I mean, so just in the nick of time too. It's, it's really funny because when I wrote the first draft of the manuscript, um, I had finished it with the beginning of my child's birth. So with, with Eze's birth, that was like the end of the manuscript. And then two weeks after I submitted my first draft, no, not even two weeks, maybe a week and a half after I submitted my first draft, I found out I was pregnant again. Oh. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know if I necessarily need to you know, change too much of it. Yeah. But then <laughs> by the time the book will come out, like my, my daughter will be at least like a year old, I presume. And so it'll be, you know, I definitely had to go back and make reference to her because I didn't want it to seem like, you know, I didn't know she existed or that she didn't exist. Like, no, she absolutely did. Even though, you know, she was, she would be just born by the time that I actually finalized the book. So it's interesting because it's a memoir. So I have to kind of keep up to pace to where I am in life. And so I had to go back and write a couple anecdotes about what it was like being pregnant in residency and dealing with all of the things that come with that. So. Sure. Oh, wow. Okay. Can't wait to read it. We won't say anything else. Um, I did want to ask you as well, because you are an accomplished uh, physician, um, and, and specifically in psychiatry, correct? I'm, I'm curious about how becoming a mother, how being a mother has maybe better informed your work and the people that that you work to help. So I think it's so interesting, because when I was pregnant with my son, I was going through a four-month rotation on inpatient child and adolescent psychiatry, which talk about perspective building, <laughs> because, you know, I think that when I was pregnant, looking at uh, and being on that rotation, for me, it was just really eye-opening as to the experiences of psychiatric care from the perspective of a parent or a loved one caring for someone who has a psychiatric illness. And I just felt that I was able to more deeply connect, resonate, and empathize with um, the parents, even though I was still in the process of being pregnant with my first child. Mm. And so that was a really eye-opening experience. But I think, honestly, after I had my son and then going back to residency in um, uh, March and April this past year, and I was actually working at Sick Kids in Pediatric Neurology which is just a really emotionally heavy um, medical specialty. Yeah. And so going back to that experience as a mother, as someone who had a child, um, who has a child, but then also pregnant again. And I was quite, I was seven months pregnant at the time. So I was quite obviously pregnant with my second child. And then going through that experience for me was actually probably one of the most impactful and poignant experiences of my life because I truly understood now the kind of love that a mother has for their child, which for me, I always, I loved him from the moment that I feel like he was conceived. But when I held him in my arms, when I cared for him and when I really understood at least the trials and tribulations of raising a child up until toddlerhood and just how much love you have, like they're an extension of your soul. And then seeing 
other parents who were in the process of dealing with very, very, very medically complex, medically unwell children, um, children who in the NICU, we, you know, we had an idea wouldn't live longer than a few weeks or even a few days and getting to interact with these parents who were just in some of the most unimaginably devastating situations that any parent can think of. And then being in the position of a parent, I mean, there were very, very few days that I didn't come home and, and cry myself um, or step away from a patient's room and be welling with tears because it was just so unfathomable. And you just, you you don't understand, or at least I felt like I didn't understand the kind of strength it would necessitate as a mother, as a father, as as a loved one to a sick child. And so I just feel like it made me a lot more as I said, empathetic with my patients. Um, and I feel like I, I, I've always been a very empathetic doctor, which is what led me towards psychiatry that I think really necessitates a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, I feel like there was just this deeper connection that I had with parents, especially the moms. Like I would just, you know, spend a little bit more time and listen a little bit more deeply and just give them a little bit more space to really explore the totality of their experiences and their emotions. And, you know, sometimes my team would say like, you're, you're a bit slow because I would see patients slowly, but it's honestly because I just, some, something about that experience being pregnant and also having a child and then dealing with children who were sick and dying was just, I, I just felt like I, I needed to be a different kind of doctor. And so, yeah, I, I hope that answers that question. <laughs> no, it does. It it answers it it beautifully. It's my eyes are welling with tears as you describe this as well. And they could say that you're slow all they want, but I I'm sure those extra couple minutes, that hand on the arm, that listening meant the world to them in what was otherwise an extremely bleak time in their lives. Absolutely, and it's interesting because one of the one of the parents um, that I had I had worked with. Uh, for at least a couple of weeks while her child was in the hospital, uh, when I I would come in extra early in the morning um, after saying, you know, getting my son ready for daycare, I would arrive a little bit early because I was, you know, pregnant. And so I knew it took me a little bit longer to get through the day. And so I'd arrive a little bit early, do my chart, like take a little bit more time with my charting, my documentation and stuff like that. And I would actually go and see my patients about 10 minutes early just so that I could spend a bit more time with them. And one of the moms that I um, that I said I was taking care of, her child for a couple of weeks, she pulled me aside and she said, "You know what? Um, I, I know you're you're still just a resident, but I need you to know that you're one of the best doctors that I've ever had in my child's care." And she's, you know, her child is very medically complex and has been in a, out of the hospital for most of their lives. And so, to hear that and to hear her say that she, you know, she's like, you know, I, I feel like you're someone who's just so incredibly special and you, you really, really care. And I just, I just know that you really, really care about your patients and please never lose that quality. Please never lose that because us as parents in sick kids and parents to sick children, oftentimes we just feel like our children are just a number. We're just another patient you have to see in the day, but you've made us feel different. And um, that was an experience I actually wrote wrote about um, in the book because it was just so heart wrenching for me. Yeah. 
um, or I, I think I wrote about it. If I didn't write about it, I should write about it. <laughs> it was it was really really heart wrenching for me. And she also it was interesting because uh, towards the end of my time with her, I think one of the last days I had with her, she came back and she said, "Oh my gosh, you never told me." And I said, "Never told you what? what? What are you referring to?" And she said, "You never told me that you were someone special." And I'm like, "I'm not sure what you're talking about." And she said, "I went and I looked you up yesterday." Because one of the social workers told me that you were someone I should look up and find out more about. I read all of the stuff online. I watched your valedictorian speech um, at U of T Medicine. I read all your articles. I listened to your poetry. I, she said, I can't believe I'm. I have the privilege of, you know, being one of your patients. Which is, oh. it, it was such a beautiful moment. And, you know, I never ever ever tell my patients about my life outside of medicine unless they find out themselves. I just, I like to kind of keep those two things separate, but when they do find out themselves and they, it, it can be a really special moment. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah. it, it, it is, it's, it's so significant, the impact um, that words can have. I, I, I know we don't have much time left. I do want to speak yeah. a little bit about your writing, about your poetry, but I have yeah. to ask, did that mm-hmm. mother also know that you had been immortalized as a Barbie doll? She did. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's actually one of the first things that I think comes up when someone Googles me. I, I'm, I think that's what comes up, but yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I often forget whenever people tell me that I have a Barbie, I'm like, oh yeah, I have a Barbie. Stop um, it. How do you forget that? <laughs> honestly, because it just seems so otherworldly. Like it just seems like such a like an incredibly wild opportunity that I was given that it just seems so surreal. Yeah. Even yeah. at the time, it felt so surreal that even now, even though the Barbie, my husband has encased it in like a glass encasing that sits in our living room. Um I still, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time that it actually happened. It kind of feels like a fever dream, to be honest. So I forget, I forget all the time that. Okay. Well, just <laughs> quickly for listeners who don't know, you worked with Mattel yeah. and you were honored as a, a frontline worker, right? You were honored uh, for your achievements and the work that you've done in the medical field. And yeah. if you want to quickly walk us through that experience. Um, but as you say, end of the day, you got a Barbie of your likeness <laughs> in a case in your living room, Chica. Like that is cool. Yeah, it is really, really cool. Um, so this was two years ago now, my gosh, 2021. Um, Mattel reached out to my management team and they had said that I was um, being selected as one of the women to receive um, this Barbie role model honor. And I was one of six women globally who were chosen. And so I represented Canada. There were some women from Australia, Brazil, the UK and the United States and um, we all had Barbies made in our likeness as um, healthcare heroes. That was like their their line for the year. And um, yeah, and so I, I had uh, going through that process of being selected and then getting over the surreality of having a Barbie made in my likeness and then actually going through the process of like, okay, this is sending them photos of what I look like so that they're they're, I'm not sure what the right title is, Barbie engineering team would put it <laughs> yeah. together. Barbie um, creator. <laughs> yeah, so that the Barbie creator would put it together and then them sending prototypes and, you know, is this the right skin tone? Is this the right hair texture? Like, how do you want your hair? How do you want to be dressed? How do you want, you know, really? So going through that process and then having the opportunity on CTV News to have 
the Barbie unveiled on live TV was just, as I said, surreal. It really, 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 I can't believe it happened. I can't believe it was two years ago. It was just such such a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And it really meant a lot to me as a little girl who grew up loving Barbies, absolutely loving Barbies and playing with Barbies, but never actually having a Barbie that looked anything like me or anything like the career that I wanted to pursue. And so being able to create a Barbie that is a Black Barbie with an Afro, with Afrocentric features, with dark skin, with all of the fashions and the makings of of a physician. So with the white coat and the scrubs and the stethoscope, that was just so, so, so important to me. And I'm really excited to, you know, see when, when my children recognize that mommy has a Barbie and it's right there. I can't wait to see that moment when it like clicks for them. That'll be really exciting. Oh, you are so inspiring. It's honestly my honor to to be able to speak with you uh, about this. So thank you so much for that. I wonder, because you're a writer, because you're a spoken word poet, um, but I also know that being a mother opens so many new emotions and feelings. And yes. I have to ask, have you been more inspired perhaps by by your child, by the one on the way? And is there anything that you would like to to share, anything that perhaps you've written inspired by your children? So it's it's interesting. I would say my memoir is like having my children has driven my my writing process for my memoir. So I got, you know, I, I got the book deal a, a couple of years ago. So it was before I even, you know, was pregnant with any of my kids or anything like that. But I think going through the process of writing it, knowing that as a mother, this is a story of my life that my children will hopefully one day read. Mm. That to me has been the biggest driving creative, creative drive for me, because as a child, I think, especially, and now even as an adult, there are so many elements and aspects of my own parents' lives that I wish I could read about. Right. And I think it's, it's interesting. And this is an experience that a lot of adults and, you know, individuals have where we feel like we know our parents, but we, we only know them through through the lens of being our parents. And it's not until we're older that we understand that they are whole human beings with an entire lived experience who are imperfect and flawed and have gone through things and have really lived a life. Mm-hmm. And I wish so desperately that I can read the book of my mother's life. I wish I could do that because my mother is the single greatest force in my own life. I'd say at least up until having my children and still remains a profound force uh, in my life of, of love and support. And it's just this incredibly, incredibly inspiring person. I think a lot of people think that I'm inspiring, but oh man, if you knew my mother, you would be floored by the magnetism of this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just really, really wish that there is a book on her life that I can read from her growing up impoverished in rural Nigeria, coming to you know, coming to Canada and and really working from the ground up and then building this beautiful family and going through trials and tribulations and trauma and then, you know, breaking through the vestiges of African patriarchy. Like she's just such an incredible woman, but there's, I'd still say there's probably like 60% of my mom's life that I don't know. And so being in this position now where I can write about my life and of course, I can't get into every granular detail with my life in a memoir, um, but I can at least give my children 
insight into some of the most formative years of my life as a pre-medical student, as a medical student, as a resident. And hopefully this, this, this isn't the last memoir, but that's just such a gift that I can give to my children and also other people who are curious about what it's like to be a doctor, period, or to be a Black doctor, to be a Black female doctor, to be a female doctor, all of these different things. So yeah, that's how my children have inspired me um, so profoundly to keep pushing, especially having written this book while either pregnant or immediately in the postpartum period. So <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So looking forward to the future, you know, you speak yeah. of your your mom being such a force and obviously you've carved out such an incredible life and you've made such an impact. What oh, do you hope, what do you wish for your own children as they grow? Oh, my babies. Oh, mm-hmm. my babies. I just wish for them to be happy i think is the first the first and foremost thing and i i really do place happiness above all else um because i feel like especially as someone who is in in psychiatry and someone who has seen a lot of individuals spirits be be broken through the trials and tribulations of life um that i I really just hope that as my children go through the trials and tribulations of life, that they're still able to retain that element of joy and peace and be able to just see how beautiful life is. Cause that's something that can so easily be taken away. Um, And so that's, that's what I, that's what I wish for my children first and foremost. And then of course that they live a purpose driven life. And I hope that they, can you know if they take any if they take anything from you know any traits from their mother and their father that they can see that we are driven by our purpose that we have a calling a conviction and that to me has always for me has always been to help and to heal to love and to nurture and that i think bleeds into every single thing that i do as a mother as an advocate as a physician as a poet as a writer it's it's all through the force of healing and love. And so I hope that my children, that that they find their purpose and then that purpose leads them to joy um, and just love like that. Yeah, I, I would say that's 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 it. And, you know, I, I just I've never felt a love, a connection, an extension of my soul like this before um, with with my babies. And so I just I wish them the world. That's really it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been a privilege and it's been so much fun. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please download, subscribe, follow and share. Until next time.